Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.08 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 22nd day of August 2023, and this is episode 778 of Bitcoin. And I want to give a big old hello to the guys in my own little troll room. Noster.build, none gone, Patrick. Yeah, I know. I know. There's only three there, but still, they're there. And you got to start, you got to start somewhere, man. You, I mean, everything has a beginning. So I just kind of started doing the whole Noster Nest thing uh, not too long ago. And people, you know, are still showing up. So as long as people show up, I'm going to be streaming to Noster Nest. And then I'm probably going to, now I don't know if I'm going to switch. I kind of want to see how many different streams I can get going with just the Noster stuff. So Zap Stream is going to be next. But honestly, that kind of means that I got to brush my hair. You know, I, I got like maybe even wear something other than a torn up T-shirt. <laughs> but be that as it may, I want to thank everybody who has uh, come into the audience. Laura has just popped in. I want to appreciate Laura as well for being here. All right. So what do we got going on? Well, let's let's well, let's find out what we got going on. Uh, speaking of Noster, um, yesterday I was talking about the hell thread, right? And, uh, mentioned that somebody, and I really know better than this. When I say somebody, I should actually have their name. It's doc. Doc is the guy that put up the bounty, um, for fixing the hell threads on Thomas. And a couple of things came out of that because um, he he basically he wrote me and he said, "Look, great episode. I was the sponsor for the Hell Thread bounty that you mentioned, and it was completed by JB fifty five yesterday. Will Mark is completed on the bounty site tomorrow. Having trouble logging in with my NIP oh seven from my phone right now. Yeah, I know we there are still issues around not Noster, but the." The things that enable us to do things like log in with NIP seven, NIP five, the you know all, and there's so many other things that we have we have to solve. And the health thread was one of the things that really needed to be solved. And apparently, somebody has just pulled down you know half a million satoshis from Doc for fixing the health thread. Well, actually, it was JB fifty five. So I guess I guess he gets it. I'm not exactly sure. But uh, JB55 did, in fact, fix the issue. But what was odd was that I didn't realize how far reaching the health thread was. For me, on, on, on Domus on my phone, when I mute a conversation, I kind of really don't see it. I don't see it in my notifications, but I also don't really see it in my main feed. Uh, I, I don't, I rarely go over to global. 
So I don't know if it was there, but there was a couple of people that were saying, look, man, you can see it, you know, you can see it in these other places. Even if you mute the conversation in Damas, you can still see it here, 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 and here. And I'm like, I don't see it. I'm not like when I mute something on Damas, I don't see it. And then it kind of dawned on me. I'm literally using Zappy Damas. You know how old that is? That's like 1.5. I think it's 1.5. I'm I'm pretty sure. And I'm still using test flight because as we all know, Apple decided to get on their high horse and decide that they didn't like anybody and wanted to kill everybody's fun like they normally do and they shut it down. I never updated my app. So I'm thinking that what's going on is that the mute function in Domus 1.5, the one that I'm using, actually does still did the trick and something happened after that and they fixed it again. I don't know that for sure, but I was like, I don't see what everybody's problem is because my mute function in 1.5 works freaking flawlessly. But that's for another deal. Anyway, I wanted to make sure that everybody understood that the guy responsible for fixing your health threads is Doc. And you can find him, one of his uh, identifiers on Noster is Doc at Noster.report. That's D-O-C at Noster.report. Thank you for the for the love of God. Thank you. Even though I wasn't you know, having a problem with it, I know so many people were. I think everybody needs to give a shout out to Doc for uh, helping us fix that little red wagon there. And also, thank you for the people starting the health threads. Because without them, we don't know where problems lie. And if that shit doesn't get fixed, then the people that use it for nefarious purposes will do so. So I really appreciate the people that starting, you know, starting the health threads that were doing it for good reasons. All right. So thank you to those guys too. Now, disappointing ETF decisions by the SEC is being blamed for the Bitcoin sell-off. I don't think that's all of it, but it's probably some of it. Let's find out more. Pedro Salamano from Decrypt. Institutions are disappointed by the SEC's lack of decision-making regarding an ETF, according to the most recent report from CoinShares, prompting a widespread sell-off by large entities totaling an impressive $55 million worth of digital asset outflows in the past seven days. As James Butterfield, head of research for CoinShares, wrote, quote, Disappointment from SEC ETF decisions have impacted sentiment, with Bitcoin's outflows reversing last week's purchases worth $27 million. Butterfield explained to Decrypt that this sudden downturn appears to be caused by an overhyped market that realized a Bitcoin ETF isn't as imminent as it once seemed. He added that fears of a Chinese-based economic downturn haven't helped. According to the analyst, the summer doldrums are in full effect with low trading volume plaguing the market. Pausing to mention, so is my podcast. I'm like, it's almost, I started going back through and looking at listenership over the past five years. And indeed, July and August are always my worst months. And then when I look further, I realized that the summer doldrums affect not only my podcast, but a whole bunch of other Bitcoin podcasts. And it also seems to come into line with this weird malaise that we feel in summertime, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, with, I don't know, like sideways price actions. It just, it always seems, it's almost as if July and August people are like, done with the year and we're waiting for something to change. 
Now, continuing on, with $2.3 billion in daily volume versus $11 billion at the beginning of the year, these numbers have left the market more vulnerable to larger trades, said Butterfield. Canada and Germany marked the week for solid selling by institutions in their territories, with $35 million and $11 million sold respectively. The sole exception was the land of the Red Cross, Switzerland, clocking a $3.5 million worth of buys. Last week's institutional outflows were not limited to only Bitcoin, which currently trades at 25910 according to CoinGecko. Most altcoins suffered a drop in buying interest by institutions, and then they list a bunch of shitcoins. Bulls continue to lead the way for Ripple. Okay, Ripple, that's, gonna, that's always a problem because of the judge in the lower district court of New York, Southern District Court of New York or whatever, saying that only half of Ripple has a problem, but whatever. As the fifth largest cryptocurrency has 17 straight weeks worth of inflows, marking $1.2 million in the past seven days. What happened 17 straight weeks ago? (laughs) I don't know, man, but I know about four or five weeks ago when that judge dropped that decision, Uh, It basically was a signal for everybody to go in and, you know, eventually lose their money. The numbers provided by CoinShares align with the surprise flash crash in crypto prices last week. Digital assets saw blood in the street after Bitcoin shed nearly 11% of its volume and dipped to prices it hadn't seen since the beginning of June. Cascade liquidations ensued with over $800 million wiped from total market capitalization uh, let's see some more shitcoiner stuff. And then at the last, he says, nevertheless, Butterfield told Decrypt he expects volumes to rise with the Fed's Jackson Hole Symposium and the Federal Reserve's potential decision on interest rates. It definitely appears that institutions are siding with the bears as the crypto market continues to hold its breath for a much anticipated and much awaited spot Bitcoin ETF and for the markets to find something to hold on to. As if shitty money... And crappy policies aren't enough. No, 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 no. The world's waiting for BlackRock and the SEC and a spot Bitcoin ETF. Really? Really? That's, we're on hold for this. And what it demonstrates to me is that we're always going to be have to, we're always going to have to deal with the human spirit which in some cases can be very good, but in other cases is very stupid. And there's, you can't fix stupid. I honestly don't think we should be waiting for a BlackRock ETF to make decisions, which is why I DCA every week. Once a week, every week, I buy Bitcoin. I don't even have to press the buy button myself. It smash buys all by itself. I've got that set up through Cash App. Yes, it's KYC. Right now, I kind of don't care. Got a lot of, I got a lot of old, I got, I got old Bitcoin. All right. I got old Bitcoin, like night, like 2015 Bitcoin. Eh, I'm just not going to worry about it. All right. The, you know, the, the paltry amount of cash that I spend on a weekly basis right now, I, okay. They, they want to come get some for taxes. Okay. I don't, I, I don't want to go to jail more than I don't want to pay taxes. All right. So I'm not going to worry about that aspect. Now, if the aspect that everybody is concerned about, well, what if they make it illegal? What if they 1601 your ass and then you've got to turn all your Bitcoin in? Well, at that point, I don't, I no longer live in the United States. 
And it doesn't mean that I'm going, oh, I'll just leave. It, it, I might have to leave, right? I don't want to leave. I'm, I'm not going to be that person that says, if somebody's elected a president, I'm going to move to Canada. No, that's all bullshit. However, if I'm under threat of being arrested for a piece of property that I am in possession of, I very well may, but I won't go north, I'll go south. I'll end up in Central America. That's where I'll probably end up if they do that 6102 crap, right? I I don't want to be in a place that doesn't allow me private property. I don't want to be in a place that doesn't allow me to the freedom of movement, whether fiscal or physical. I don't want to be there. I don't know why anybody would. You've seen what has happened to San Francisco. One of the greatest cities in the world has basically been destroyed. For all intents and purposes, a, it might have been hit. It should have just, you should just look at it as being hit by a nuclear bomb, even though the buildings are still standing. But that's all that's left of San Francisco is the buildings. It's basically been decimated. I wonder if that was done on purpose to crash real estate prices so that people sitting on fat wads of cash that they got from the spigot are able to go back and rebuy at really low prices and then commence the cycle again to where everybody moves back to San Francisco, everybody's making money, and then all of a sudden real estate prices go to the moon and rinse and repeat. I don't know. Things are getting bad when it comes to the bad part of some people's humanity. Unchained, unchained capital surges with 170% growth in Bitcoin loan activity during the first half of 2023. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine, Nick Hoffman writing, Unchained, a leader in financial services tailored for Bitcoin holders, has seen a 170% upsurge in loans backed by Bitcoin from the first quarter to the second quarter of 2023, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. The company also saw an 88% spike in institutional and corporate accounts, a 67% leap in private client subscriptions, and a 260% surge in its inheritance service clientele. In 2022, Bitcoin hodlers witnessed market events such as the collapse of insolvent and fraudulent lenders that parted customers from over $5 billion dollars and sent BTC plummeting by over 65%. This surge in Unchained's activity is representative of the confidence BTC hodlers place in both the company's platform and the resilience of Bitcoin as an asset. The yearning for greater security and control over assets is further showcased by the fact that the proportion of Bitcoin held on exchanges has plunged to a five-year low of 12% during the first half of 2023. In contrast, Unchained has experienced an 88% expansion in business accounts during this same period. As the sole U.S. licensed provider of collaborative custody services for businesses, Unchained's allure persists amongst institutional and corporate BTC holders who want to utilize multi-sig asset storage as a means to mitigate counterparty risks. This sentiment is further highlighted by the popularity of Unchained Signature, Unchained's premium service tailored for high net worth individuals, institutions, and corporations, which itself witnessed a 67% surge in subscriptions during the second quarter. Okay, so Unchained Capital makes Bitcoin loans. They also do a whole bunch of other stuff. So 
please be aware that I'm not shilling unchained capital for their loans, right? It, what, I, what I like about unchained capital is that they're still here, that they're not, they didn't do the block. They didn't go down the road of BlockFi. They didn't straight up lie to their customers. They don't really even market themselves that well. I was about to say that well. They just don't do it. I, I don't know if it's because they don't do it well or if they've made a functional, conscious decision to not do a bunch of advertising, but it doesn't matter for them. All you have to be is faster, the fastest person on the field when being chased down by a grizzly bear, right? Actually, you don't even have to be the fastest. You have to be the set, you just have to be the second slowest, right? Because once the bear catches the, you know, the guy behind you, you're pretty much free and clear because the bear is now occupied with somebody else. But the reason I bring it up is that there's a lot of companies in this space that have survived multiple bear markets, multiple rounds of FUD from media. That's the strength you're looking for. It's like sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Kenobi. This is the strength you're looking for. BlockFi is no longer functional, so nobody else can get hurt by BlockFi. I feel bad for the people that did, but I'm glad that nobody else will be able to get hurt by BlockFi. The only people, the only businesses right now that I care about that are, are that have they, they have these two things about them. One is that they're Bitcoin only. Two is that they've survived this long. Does that mean everybody that has those two uh, assets, let's call them, does it mean that they're just totally above board and and you're going to be fine with them? No, it does not. But the more we whittle away. At the bark on the stick, that stick gets ever more sharp. I believe that Unchained Capital is going to be one of the last companies standing in this round, along with a few other ones. But those are the people that I look for. Anybody that suggests that you're going to get like, you know, 12.7% annual percentage rate returns on, on, on any X, pick any X, you might want to stay away from that. Because almost every time that we get into a downturn in the market, they're the first to basically evaporate and take your money with them. Like this guy, Sam Bankman fried, pled not guilty to fraud charges. (laughs) Impression Shaw, Cointelegraph. Sam Bankman fried, the former CEO and co-founder of crypto exchange FTX, has pleaded not guilty to fraud and money laundering charges levied in an updated indictment by prosecutors, according to a report. The latest court proceedings against SBF were heard by Magistrate Judge Sarah Netburn. The former FTX CEO was charged with seven counts of fraud and money laundering alone, with an additional charge of campaign finance. Bankman Fried pled not guilty on all counts. SBF's uh, counsel also raised concerns pertaining to his medical needs. Oh, now now he's got medical problems, sharing that SBF takes Adderall and follows a vegan diet but has not received his medication in the last 11 days. The court proceedings also saw SBF's lawyers request a vegan diet for their client. The counsel also cited Sixth Amendment concerns, saying that their client cannot prepare for trial as he has been under remand since August the 11th. The council noted further that they have been offered only fictitious, well, sorry, only fictions as solutions. 
Bankman Fried appeared in the Southern District of New York courthouse on August the 22nd. That's today. Facing accusations of misusing customer funds for personal use and political donations. The fraud and money laundering charges are from December. However, prosecutors added additional campaign finance charges earlier this month. The latest proceedings in the FTX lawsuit came after Bankman Fried's bail was revoked, with SBF leaving the New York courtroom in handcuffs. Earlier in the week, Bankman Fried requested the court grant him permission to spend five weekdays outside of detention to work with his legal team on his defense. However, a federal judge overseeing SBF's criminal case issued an order allowing him to meet with his legal team outside of jail for roughly seven hours. So he's getting some concessions. Of course, he, of course he is. Of course he is. He's, he's a protected baby. That SBF is somehow or another... It's almost as if it's almost like the first case I've ever seen of somebody somebody being thrown under the bus and protected all at once. It's bizarre, but we live in a clown world, so expect even more bizarre as the days progress. All right, Bitcoin bulls mull the meaning of new Fed messaging on inflation and interest rates. Stephen Alfert tells us more from CoinDesk. Bitcoin suffered one of its more dramatic declines over the last, oh, sorry. Bitcoin suffered one of its more dramatic declines over last Thursday, at least in part thanks to the realization that a strengthening economy, yay, means interest rates are likely to stay on the rise. Consumers spending and new home sales data for July both came in stronger than expected last week, prompting the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now tool to up its forecast to very speedy 5.8 GDP growth in the third quarter. Oh, God. Those sorts of numbers are typically just seen coming out of recessions, and the only time the U.S. has experienced such fast growth in the last decade was in a few of the quarters following the COVID lockdown-induced economic collapse. Stuck in the tight range between eh, 29000 and 30000 for several weeks, Bitcoin Thursday afternoon dropped to a low, of 28,000 area thanks to the economic news. That in turn triggered a chain of stops and liquidations that sent Bitcoin quickly plunging below 25,000 and making a modest recovery since to 26,000 at press time. This week brings the Kansas City Federal Reserve's annual Jackson Hole Economic Symposium and a keynote speech Friday morning from the U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. Ahead of the talk, the Wall Street Journal's Nick Tamaros, known as the Fed Whisperer for his close contacts within the U.S. Central Bank, Monday morning wrote a column suggesting officials believe the so-called neutral rate of interest could be far higher than previously thought. It's a fairly wonkish subject, but the takeaway is that the Fed's benchmark Fed funds target currently at 525 to 5.5% could stay a lot higher for a lot longer than market participants expect. Also, in the Wall Street Journal on Monday was a column from Jason Furman, the president's top economic advisor during the Obama administration, in which he urged the Fed to consider lifting its inflation target to 3% from 2%, pausing to tell you how much of a big deal that is. For decades, the Federal Reserve has targeted a 2% inflation rate. We don't want inflation at all, but we've been dealing with 2% for years and years and years and years and years and freaking decades. 
that's been the target rate. And now, now they want it to be 3%. That's a full point rise in expected as well as targeted inflation. Let that sink in, quote, a higher target also has the benefit of helping cushion the economy against severe recessions, wrote Furman, quote, when the economy slows, higher inflation means the price hikes and wage freezes can become a less unpalatable alternative to widespread layoffs for businesses looking to cut costs. And here's a tweet from Paul Krugman who says, I agree with Jason Furman's call for a 3% inflation target. The rationale for 2% has been overtaken by a couple of decades experience. And many of us have been saying this for a while. And he's got a whole thread on it, which we're not even going to go into. Opinions will differ on ideas about a higher neutral rate of interest or a faster targeted rate of inflation. But it didn't take the bond market long to react to these two pieces of news. The 10-year Treasury yield on Monday morning shot higher by nine basis points to a new 16-year high of 4.34%. Instruments tied to interest rates compete with risk assets like Bitcoin for investor dollars, and at the margin, higher rates means less interest in Bitcoin. Like, for example, why buy Bitcoin when you can earn 5% risk-free in a six-month CD? On the other hand, Were the U.S. Central Bank to indicate a tolerance to allow an inflation rate higher than its current 2% target, it would be the sort of official acknowledgement of monetary debasement that Bitcoin fans have forever been warning against. Okay, well, that's just great. That, and it's that last, it's that last one that there's, I just felt a notion of naivete in that one. Let's read it again. On the other hand, Were the U.S. Central Bank to indicate a tolerance to allow an inflation rate higher than its current 2% target, it would be the sort of official acknowledgement of monetary debasement that Bitcoin fans have been forever, that have forever been warning against. Good luck to all of us trying to convince the masses that don't even understand what the 2% targeted inflation rate actually means to convince them that, see, we were right. It's monetary debasement. Good luck. Good luck getting that message out to the masses. We have a hard enough time as it is. And I don't mean to be all like, you know, sad Sally about it, but come on. Let's, if we can't start from a basis of being realistic about what we're up against, then we don't have the tool set that enables us to build the other tools to conv- how do we go and build arguments that make regular people understand what it is that we're talking about. I brought yesterday I brought you a clip from the Tuttle Twins, right? This is a cartoon that's on YouTube and like a couple of other places for children that is well produced from end to end, and they're not short snippets. I mean, some of these episodes are like 23 minutes long. They're like standard television length episodes. Lots of money goes into building these things. And they're, they they have built a tool set, basically what I mean tool set, uh, an animation. That's a tool set to be able to reach an audience and direct a message designed for that audience. So not only do you have a vector 
but you have a package, a delivery package, what's also known as a payload to deliver along that vector. The vector here is the animation. The direction that vector is going is targeting the children. And the payload is, how do we describe freedom? How do we describe money? How do we, how do we tease apart all these rhetorical things for this audience of children? How do we do the same thing? For other adults that just don't understand, there, I guarantee you, there's well over 50% of the United States population that are full-blown adults that don't even understand that we have a targeted 2% inflation rate. How are we going to convince them that we were right when the Federal Reserve says, you know what, 3% sounds good. And we can go, well, see, that was debasement. We were saying this all along. They didn't even know about 2%. Again, not being a sad Sally, but we're kind of, we're kind of fighting up against, we're swimming up against the stream and around these bear markets is when we get tired and we cannot afford to get tired right now. We just can't. All right, let's skip that one. Bitcoin developers say Craig Wright. (laughs) Yeah, he's still alive. Bitcoin developers say that Craig Wright may be admitting that he stole 800,000 Bitcoin from Mt. Gox, uh, Jason Nelson for Decrypt. In an ongoing lawsuit filed by Craig Wright, self-proclaimed inventor of Bitcoin attorneys, for the 12 Bitcoin core developers targeted by Wright filed a preliminary issue application with the United Kingdom High Court. The filing purports to dismantle many of the plaintiff's claims, the Bitcoin legal defense defense said in a statement on Monday. Wright claims to own 111,000 Bitcoin that were allegedly stolen from the Mt. Gox exchange. The defense notes that Wright lacks any documentation showing ownership of the missing Bitcoin and accuse him of fabricating the limited documents provided to the court. Quote, we seek to have this claim struck down on the ground that it is a fraudulent claim and an abuse of process. Timothy Ellis, an attorney with NEO Law LLP, said in the filing, quote, they seek disclosure and other case management directions to enable this threshold issue of fraud to be determined as a preliminary issue, In quote. A preliminary issue application is a legal tool that aims to resolve specific issues before a trial by addressing key points and potentially saving time and money for those involved in the proceedings. The case is Tulip Trading Limited versus Bitcoin Association for BSV and others, the former being Craig Wright's company, the name of which references the tulip mania that gripped the Netherlands in the 1630s. Quote, the application lists that the evidence that tulip trading must present in a preliminary trial to demonstrate it owned the Bitcoin in question and also request that tulip trading provide a security payment of $1.63 million to cover the cost of the case in the event that it is dismissed, the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund said. Attorneys for the core or Bitcoin core developers argue that Wright and his company did not own the Bitcoin involved in the lawsuit. If the court sides with the Bitcoin core developers, Tulip Trading Limited must prove its ownership of the digital asset before the case can even continue. Ellis further claims that if Wright is the owner then he is admitting to stealing 80,000 BTC, which was worth around 10 or no, $2 billion today. Quote, 
It's widely accepted in the cryptocurrency community that the Bitcoin in the one fee X address originated from a well-publicized hack on a Japanese cryptocurrency exchange that occurred in March of 2014, defense attorneys wrote. Further quote, essentially, it appears that if Dr. Wright is the owner of the Bitcoin in the one fee X address, which is denied, he has effectively admitted to being the person who stole 80,000 BTC from Mt. Gox, founded in 2021 with support from former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. The Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund is a nonprofit organization that supports Bitcoin developers in legal cases. In April, the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund supported the defense of the Bitcoin core developers targeted in Wright's lawsuit. The Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund, Bitcoin Association for BSV, and attorneys for Tulip Trading Limited have not yet responded to decrypt's request for comment. Yeah, and they probably won't because it's an ongoing trial at this point. Um, <clears throat> so that's an, it's interesting that I have not heard this argument made before, although it's kind of, it's kind of evident that if he does own it, then he very well may have stolen it. And if you got 12 Bitcoin core developers telling their, instructing their lawyers to actually write that into court documents, then we, if they're, you know, if they can get that, if they can get that through, if they can get that quote unquote believed by the court, this may very well be the end of all Craig Wright's chicanery. One can only hope, but in the meantime, we'll run the numbers. Earl is up. Well, at least West Texas Intermediate is. A quarter point rise for West Texas Intermediate brings that to $80.93 a barrel. Brent North Sea is up just scant to $84.47. Natural gas falling on its ass, 2.89% of the downside, bringing it to $2.55 per thousand. And gasoline is up almost a full half point to $2.78 since a gallon. All your metal rocks are doing well today though. Gold is up 0.19% to 1926 and 60 cents. Silver is up a half point. Platinum is up one and a half. Copper is up just over 1% and palladium is up just over two. Ag is fully screwed. Lumber is down 1.03%, but the biggest loser today is going to be soybeans down 1.49%. And the only thing that's in the green today is cotton. It's just over 1% to the upside. I got live cattle down as well. Uh, three quarters of a point down, in fact. Lean hogs are down even worse. One and three quarters of a point. And feeder cattle are down almost a half. The Dow is down almost a half. S&P is down 0.17%. NASDAQ down 0.12. S&P mini is down 0.4. Real money is down as well to $25,915. I got uh, average transaction values of 0.57 BTC, median transaction values of 8.6 United States pennies. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 40 seconds. We got one point, nope, not one, 0.11 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 15 and a quarter taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with a 0.43% rise in hash rate, according to bitinfocharts.com, we're at 415 exahashes per second, which doesn't explain 10 minute, 40 second uh, block time. So we're probably going to see a discrepancy here in a second. Dogecoin, 6.2 United States pennies. 
I got a $506.5 billion market cap. That is 3.99% of gold's market cap. There are 19,464,661.82 BTC in circulation. 4,656.24 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at just over $120 million. 16,216 nodes that we can see and 68,131 payment channels that we know about. 73.3% of all that's being run over Tor. Mempools, eh, about 135 blocks carrying 370 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with high priority transaction costs of 25 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority going to cost you 20. Anything under five and a quarter Satoshis per V-byte being purged from mempools around the world. And we have a 348.2 exahash hash rate, according to mempool.space. That explains, you know, 10 minute, 40 second block times more than the 415. So there's a pretty wide discrepancy between BitInfo charts and mempool.space. Remember, there's no real way to get a direct measurement of hash rate. It's all derivative equations, all right? We don't really ever know what the hash rate truly is at any given second. All we can do is look at essentially, well, when blocks are coming in versus in a couple of other metrics, and then you got to kind of compile them together. And it's, I don't know, it's all so exhausting. Uh, I am number four still, on fountain charts of so Bitcoin and podcast is still in the top 10, according to fountain charts. Uh, thanks to people like Dubrovko with a thousand sats says, when someone says something that you like to hear, be very weary. Yeah, no shit, dude. God's death with a striper boost 777 says, congrats and thank you, sir. No, thank you. Axelrod with 451. Noster News is great. Where's the music? No, thank you. Pies with 100 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And Dubrovko with 100 sat says, too big to fail. Binance is bailing out a thief to protect their business interest. Just ponder that for a minute. Dubrovko comes back and says, regarding gas prices, I was in Houston at a Kroger gas station. They have a very slim margin on their fuel prices. I listened to you tell me the price was $2.89 and was fueling up at $3.40. So... Similar to the basket of goods used for the price index, these reported fuel prices are impossible to prove or disprove. That is just the stations near where you are that is so expensive. That's in quotes and in parentheses. And perfect for laundering the good will of the people towards our masters. I like Dubrovko. He's a good Joe. Uh, pies, 100 On vacation for the next two weeks in ca- case I miss any shows or boosts. Ha ha. Well, pies, I can't really say thank you, sir, to end up the, the, you know what, pies? God dang it. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And this one, we're going to start, we're going to start this one out with get Albie. Um, they've got a blog post that goes through something that's very near and dear to my heart, value for value. This one is interesting, so hold on for the ride. Value time split, the latest innovation 
in Podcasting 2.0. Value for value is a new form of monetization and a way for publishers to earn back the value they provide to their followership. The value time split is the latest innovation in Podcasting 2.0, allowing alternating payment receipts and cross-referencing of content. This advancement sets the foundation for a new economic model driven by a direct relationship between consumers and publishers. So like you guys in Noster Nests, right? You're my consumers. I am the publisher. The, let, well, let's just, we'll read the blog post and I'll have, probably have quite a bit to say about it at the end. I don't know. We'll find out. Podcasting 2.0 keeps advancing podcast technology by introducing features that improve the listening experience with two important initiatives. One, the podcast namespace, and two, the podcast index. What was started as a project in 2020 has grown into a whole movement of companies incorporating both initiatives into their business models and building new services on top. One key aspect of this novel standard is the value-for-value system, enabling podcasters to directly receive value from their listeners in return for the value they provide through their content. Based on the podcast namespace specification, listeners have the ability to stream payments, which can be scheduled based on a per-minute model or can be designated for specific moments within an episode, referred to as boosts. Moreover, an increasing number of Podcasting 2.0 apps allow for brief messages to accompany these boosts, known as boostograms. The value tag sets the ground for a new monetization model. Up until recently, the owner of the RSS feed, for example, the podcaster, could specify all recipients of V4V payments for a whole episode in the podcast value tag. The split feature introduced the flexibility for the creators to the, of the feed to add several payment recipients. Typically, these are guests, other contributors of the show, or service providers such as podcast hoping, uh, hosting companies. All incoming payments are split automatically among the recipients according to a defined ratio. But, 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 what if the podcast episode contains content from other contributors. This is regularly the case in music shows playing songs from different artists. One single value tag per episode cannot fully respect the split for each of these contributors. The value time split enables real-time payment attribution. And I'm pausing here to make sure that we all understand that I'm emphasizing the word time. We've heard about value splits, right? I like I have I have two I have uh, two splits. Uh, I have a percentage of my podcast any boost come to me. One percent goes to podcast index. One percent goes to Fountain App, and that's automatic. I don't. I mean, I just put their value blocks or their their addresses in my value block and set the ratio, and I forgot about it. And so, no matter what's been done over the past, you know. Four months, I think, is when I set that up. 1% of whatever you guys boost me, whatever you guys stream me, goes to help fund the podcast index, which is an important project. Fountain app, because that's my favorite podcasting 2.0 app, gets another 1% to help them do their thing. 
lately I've been playing music, right? I want to be, I, I drop songs into like every once in a while into a podcast. And I want to be able to give a split to that, that person that, you know, for that, for allowing me to use their song, their content in my podcast. But it doesn't make sense for me to just give them a 1% split and then have to take that split out all the time. So here's the, here's the thing. We're going to get into it. I need a way to be able to split at a certain time in my podcast. And this is what this is. This is where the value time split shines. By adding a time and external content component, this element allows different value splits for a certain period of time by respecting the source. The latest innovation coming out of the Podcasting 2.0 initiative is essentially a combination of existing Podcasting 2.0 features such as podcast um, colon soundbite and podcast colon remote item where a start time and a duration is supplied with alternative value recipients. This effectively enables alternating payment recipients even during a single podcast episode. Every time a new item is played, a new value tag can be defined. All payments from listeners at this moment can be attributed and programmatically sent to all recipients being a part of it. The value time split split in use today. Content creators are now able to be compensated as defined within their individual RSS feeds. Podcasts featuring multiple content contributors can now conveniently direct listener payments to the primary content originators, establishing a foundation for an equitable, contribution-driven payment model. The stage is set for music shows to adopt this innovation. The Boostagram Ball by Adam Curry is one example and the first of its kind to allow contributors to earn value-for-value payments from listeners. Adam plays a series of songs, each with its own value tag defined by the artist and creator of the RSS feed. By allowing to reference content and value recipients across any podcast, the value time split rethinks content monetization in a completely new way. This innovation empowers music artists and grants them the capacity to receive payments directly into their pockets whenever their content is played on a different podcast, independently of labels and music rights organizations. Apps for artists and publishers. Setting up an RSS feed for your content is the key component for making it accessible on podcast apps or music players. By adding a digital wallet, you can now receive payments from consumers for songs, podcast episodes, videos, or even blog posts thanks to the different medium types specified by the podcast namespace. There is already a list of options available for publishers of traditional podcasts to value-enable their podcast. With music becoming an increasingly popular medium for podcasts, we will see more services dedicated to the needs of music artists. Wavelake, for instance, is a great website to get started allowing you to upload your songs and get paid from listeners. Wavelake provides musicians with a wallet and the RSS feed with a value tag. The Music Side Project, another option, lets you construct the RSS feed yourself and, for instance, add all brand or band members as recipients to the value split. Apps for Podcast hopes to include the value time split. 
Are you interested in establishing your own music podcast, much like Adam Curry or James Cridland, as former radio disc jockeys did? If the alternative value recipients have their own value tag, it can be referenced or directly indicated within the respective episode's feed. This is useful for recipients who might not yet possess an RSS feed of their own for referencing purposes. The split kit. Listen up. This is where this is where the meat and potatoes of all the stuff that I've just been talking about lives. The split kit. It is a link. It's www.thesplitkit.com. Go there. If you have any kind of value for value, like a podcast that that ha- that utilizes podcasting 2.0, or if you want to find out more about this, go to thesplitkit.com. That's thesplitkit, all one word, dot com. It allows you to follow, follow the value time split specification quite easily. Just compile a list of single songs similar to what's demonstrated below, and there's a picture, and then modify the starting time as needed. The split kit will automatically produce the appropriate segments of the value time splits. In this case, the picture referenced above, and it's just basically a bunch of blocks. And if you want me to tell you that podcast, you know, colon value time split start time equals 600 remote. If you want me to go through all that, I will, but I don't think you want me to do that. Let's just read the text. In this case, you can see two items here. There are two songs, each having their own dedicated RSS feeds. You can directly reference their feeds and share all incoming payments. Simply paste the value time splits into the value tag of your episode's RSS feeds and you're done. Where can you, as a consumer, try out this feature? Early adopters of this exciting feature are Castomatic, CurioCaster, Fountain, PodFans, or Podverse. The payment will be automatically directed to the correct recipient as you listen to the podcast. Get yourself one of these apps and show your appreciation for the artist of the Boostagram ball. As a result, the value time split feature enables a new economic model driven by a direct relationship between consumers and artists. It is exciting to see a number of pioneering services already endorsing this model with numerous others to follow suit. If you have questions about the value time split, or about podcaster wallets as a creator or application developer, reach out anytime at hello at getalby.com. That is hello at getalby.com. I cannot freaking tell you how excited I am about this. So I go, I went rather to the split kit and I'm going to go there right now. And it's, it gives me a page and there is a login button. Oh my God, let's, let's log in. Oh, and then all of a sudden, because I have GitAlby as an extension for my browser, it brings me the ability for GitAlby to connect with SplitKit. So I press that button. Now I can go to events. And it's not all that evident in the text that's at the splitkit.com, but hey, everything has a beginning. Everything has a beginning. So now... Well, it's, it seems to have frozen up. Maybe there's a lot of people that are trying to, to screw with it. But earlier when I was going to <clears throat> the splitkit.com forward slash events after I've logged in, it says, what, what's your podcast? Here's a nifty search feature. So I typed in Bitcoin and space dot, space dot, space dot, hit enter. And sure enough, my, my RSS feed came up in the search. So I clicked it. 
and created an event. And then it says, okay, well, what episode? Oh, okay. So then I had the ability to go back as far. Well, I can go all the way back as far as how many episodes that I have, which is after today will be 778. So the last one present there was 777, yesterday's show. So at that point, I could have gone in and, oh, good Lord, I could have gone in and said, and picked that show. And then it says, great, how do you want to split this up? Well, I want all, I want uh, every, I want all this, you know, I want all the money until this time. And at this time, you're going to split it to, and then it gives me a search function to find the song that I want. And I'm like, but you're, are you connected to Wavelake? I'm like, I don't even want to find out. I'm just going to use the handy, handy dandy search function. And I typed in, the name of today's song. And sure enough, it came up in the search results. So I clicked it and it brought over all I needed to know. And it said, well, how much do you want to give the artist? And I go, well, during these time frames, the artist gets a hundred percent. I'm not taking nothing. I'm going to look now. I haven't been able to do it yet. I'm going to try to do it for today's show, right? And give the artist, you know, give their artist their due at a hundred percent. So when I release this episode, please, please, please go back and listen to it and find the song because it's going to be right around eh, 55 minutes, right? 55 minutes is about how long I've been going actual record time that I've got listed on my uh, recording app right now. Um, Go find the song and then start boosting the shit out of it because I want to see if this works. Of course, that all depends on whether or not I'm smart enough to figure out how to do all this, but there looks like they're making it pretty damned easy. So again, and for all you guys in Noster Nest that are listening right now, I know that you've already heard this because you're listening live, but go do it again and spread this show out with like maybe the hashtag V4V uh, tag or something like that, because I this needs to be done. I used to play music during the show and I kind of got, got a little, you know, weirded out by it because I'm like, dude, if ASCAP finds out that I'm playing Rush, they're going to tag me and I don't want to be tagged. I don't know how they tag. I don't know how brutal it is, but I don't want to find out. And this gives me the chance to kill two birds with one stone. One is to be able to have music in my podcast again. And two, at the same time, be able to promote and pay the artists that made that tunage because these guys need to get out of the mindset of trying to go in to the legacy music industry because it's just as bad, if not worse, as any other legacy thing, whether it's finance, whether it's movies, whether it's, I don't know, pick one. It's all bad. It all sucks. But all that said, it is now time to listen to Kalina from the artist named Sam Means from his album, 10 Songs. Enjoy. It's a lonely open road. I fall asleep. It's a matter of myself. Just a matter of
So much easier than sitting home Any way you want to go Sam Means was an, is an interesting artist. If you haven't listened to his stuff, <clears throat> he's, got, he's actually got quite a bit of stuff on Wave Lake. Um, and this one, I really did enjoy this song because it's, I don't know, man. The only thing that I can, I, I was about to say it sounds kind of fruity, but that gives the wrong connotation. It's bouncy. I'll give it that. It's an interesting style. And you're not going to hear that on the radio, are you? It's never going to pass muster in the legacy music industry. So people like Sam that have an interesting style that a lot of people may actually like, but will never freaking hear, they get to come over to Wave Lake. And then people like me, without fear of being having their pants sued off from around their ankles, is going to be able to drop it in my podcast. And you, as listeners, are going to be able to directly support the artist through this podcast. I'm not even going to send you someplace else. You don't even have to do it. If you were boosting during that song, if everything worked right, I don't get any of those Satoshis. I'm getting them now because I, I gave it the time split, right? But during that song, anything that you were streaming to me, if you were like streaming me nine Satoshis per, you know, per minute, I don't get any of those. That goes to Sam, who deserves it, because it was his song that I was showcasing today. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one that recorded it. He's the one that put his ass on the line. Not me. I just grabbed it from Wave Lake and dropped it in the damn show. And now I get to get get to, to redirect anything that you're directing me to Sam. This is the way. This is the way forward. This is the way that we're going to win. It's more important than I think we're giving it credit for. Even I don't think I'm give, giving it enough credit to what Adam Curry and his crew over at Podcasting 2.0 have actually done. So, you know, go back. Go back in, in, in that song. If you didn't boost during that song, go boost during that song and tell Sam that, um, I don't know, if you didn't like the song, I guess please don't tell Sam that he sucks, okay? Don't don't be a dick about it. But if you did like the song or or you're just happy about value for value and the ability that these time these value time splits are now live and able to be used by people like me, then go boost him. Go boost him a lot. Boost him more than you boost the actual show so that Sam can go, damn, this is, this is the way forward. The more musicians and other artists realize that this is the way forward, then it will be the way forward. Now, let's see, what do we got here? I'm not going to do that one. Oh, South Korean city is going to seize crypto from thousands of tax evaders. According to a report, Helen parts coin telegraph. The city or the South Korean city of Shangju, the capital of the North Chungcheong province, province, and I know I butchered that, has said it intends to begin confiscating cryptocurrency from local tax delinquents. Oh, I'm so delinquent. The administration of Chongju has requested seven South Korean crypto exchanges to inquire into the holdings of thousands of tax evaders, according to a report from local news agency Yonghap on August the 22nd. City authorities reportedly ordered trading platforms like Upbit and Bitthumb 
to inquire into the crypto assets of 8,520 users who owe at least $750 in local taxes. This isn't federal. This isn't state. This is a city. My God almighty. Following the inquiry, Shengzhou authorities plan to confiscate cryptocurrency from tax delinquents, the report states. According to city administration, cryptocurrencies have been increasingly used as a means of concealing property in South Korea. This latest initiative approach aims to ensure that South Korean residents who have evaded their tax responsibilities are held accountable. Upbit and Bitthumb did not immediately respond for a request for comment. Of course not. <clears throat> in 2022, the Shengzhou administration reportedly collected overdue taxes from 17 individuals after receiving details of the cryptocurrency holdings of around 16,000 crypto investors. The city collected a total of $51,000 from them. Tax-related cryptocurrency confiscations have increased in South Korea in recent years. In 2022 and 2021 combined, the South Korean government confiscated as much as eight, no, 180 million USD worth of cryptocurrencies from tax evaders. In 2021, the city administration of South Korea's capital Seoul sees crypto worth $25 billion or $22 million U.S. from individuals and company heads. The seizures came soon after the South Korean government enacted laws allowing regulators to seize cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin from tax delinquents in 2021. South Korea isn't the only country that seizes cryptocurrency from tax evaders. Last year, Argentina's tax authority seized more than 1,000 cryptocurrency wallets linked to delinquent taxpayers in the country. The United States Internal Revenue Service also practices cryptocurrency confiscation from tax evaders, according to IRS Deputy Associate Chief Counsel Robert Weering. Get your coin off of exchanges. At this point, I don't care if you're a shitcoiner. I really don't. Get them off. Get them off. Get them off. Because this is not going, not only is this going to go away, and not only am I 100% certain that it's not going to get less bad, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse in here. a, A thought flashed in my head while I was reading this. I can see the future coming this way. All future cryptocurrency and and, and shit chains that get spun up must not allow private custody. Can't just through, through I mean through the, the the mechanisms of the protocol only allows like a three like a two of three multi sig or a or well something that allows you to never be able to make the full hundred percent decisions on how to vector your funds. You can only hold it on exchanges. You can only hold it in a bank. All the new ones are going to be like that. They'll give instant, instant satisfaction to the people that spin up shit chains if they agree to make a shit chain that allows for no private custody, right? So that means that only the legacy stuff like Bitcoin that allows for absolute 100% Single signature, all the way back to single signature private custody. I get the feeling that there's going to be a lot of inflow from that. But going forward into the future, yeah, you're you're going to see a whole bunch of people who are going to make a shit ton of money because that's going to be the way that they get their crappy blockchain out into the wild because they're going to be instantly regulated and they're going to say, yes, sir, regulate me more as long as I can sit my ties on the beach and steal people's money. Nobody cares. 
Nobody cares. The regulators won't care. As long as they can confiscate it at will, they will let anybody do anything that they want to do. They will let people advertise and market anything the way they want to. They won't have to respect morals or ethics or journalistic anything. They will just spin this crap up because South Korea and people like them will say, sure, as long as you can guarantee and we can audit the system that makes sure that we can guarantee that that person will not ever have private custody and that we will, sure, you do anything you want. That's where this is going. I mean, even Proton Mail complied with 5,957 data requests in 2022. You know, I mean, that that news just came out. That's out of No Bullshit Bitcoin or NoBSBitcoin.com. Quote, Proton Mail often touts its Swiss jurisdiction and privacy guarantees, but at the same time, it's complying with a record number of data request orders going through the Swiss legal system. So even Proton Mail is like going, sure, we'll give you whatever you want. You know, we thought it was supposed to be private and end-to-end encrypted. And no, no, they're just, they're just, you know, they're just doing it. What exactly did they do? Well, in a lot of these cases, Proton Technologies provided the FBI with, quote, recovery and associated email addresses of the user, which led to the user's discovery. I mean, Proton Mail actually does have a transparency report, and that's where we're getting all this from. But the fact that they're complying doesn't, or the fact that they're being transparent about it doesn't mean that, I mean, I can be transparent about being an asshole. That doesn't make me any less of an asshole. I, that's just the way that shit works. But be that as it may, we can't even trust Proton Mail. No, 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 no this is all bad. It, it's all bad. And nobody should be putting up with this crap. Because to end this off, China sentences a former party official to life in prison for crypto mining corruption and power abuse. This is out of the block. And it is written by who? Uh, Timmy Shen. China has sentenced a former party official to life imprisonment for corruptive activities, including those related to cryptocurrency mining, a Chinese court pronounced today. Yi Zhao, a former provincial level official in the southern province of Zhangji, was accused of abusing his power to facilitate crypto mining activities. The court trial in Hangzhou, a city in East China's Zhihang province, found that from 2008 to 2021, Zhao took advantage of his positions, including his role as vice chairman of the Provincial Committee of the People's Political Consultative Conference to illegally accept more than 125 million won or $17.1 million in bribes, the court said. Also, when Zhao served as a party secretary for Fengzhou City in 2017 to 2021, he assisted companies engaged in crypto mining, quote, resulting in significant losses to public property, national and people's interests, the court said. As a result, Zhao was sentenced to life imprisonment, deprived of political rights for life, and had all personal property confiscated. That's where we're at. The rest of the block thing goes into crypto's China ban. It's not really all that important. So we'll just end off with the fact that here's a guy. Yeah, I'm sure he was corrupt to the um, corrupt to the core. I'm sure he was taking bribes. But that crypto thing sent it, it seems to have sent it over the edge and he had he's lost everything. 
we're we're not at the then they fight you yet. I don't think lots of people are saying that. Oh, we're finally at the then they fight you stage. No, 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 we're not. Nobody should be thinking that this is going to be easy. Nobody should be thinking that there will not be losses. You should take this shit seriously. I mean, sure, it's all fun and memes until somebody gets sentenced to life in prison for this kind of crap. It's all fun and memes until somebody over leverages themselves on on a you know Binance exchange and gets wiped out. It's all fun and games until you have to move out of the country that you were born in because they don't respect property anymore or freedom of speech or the right to bear arms. Well, it's all fun and memes until someone gets hurt. And we should probably all keep that in mind that we're we're in a very dangerous situation. And even even if Bitcoin wasn't here, we'd be in a very we'd actually be in a more dangerous situation. Because there would not be an escape valve. But the clown world outside and the danger inherent in having property inside, well, it is what it is. It doesn't mean not smile. It doesn't mean not hope for the future. It doesn't mean not to meme. But it does mean be careful. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.